Hey followers, welcome back. It's Dana. Today is an extra special episode because we have my mom. We had my mom on the pod and I know I'm a little biased, but I think she's a pretty awesome woman. She and my dad, they got divorced when I was about five years old and they had an awesome co-parenting relationship. My siblings and I are so lucky to have them, but I say that because not soon after that, she decided to go to divinity school. She went to Yale Divinity School. She got her master's degree in divinity. And all while she was raising four kids, she would put us to bed, stay up till 4 a.m. studying, sleep for a couple hours, get up and start her day with us. So that in and of itself, I think about that sometimes, like when I was in school and struggling, like, okay, if my mom could do this with four kids at home, like, I think I can handle studying for this exam and working. <laughs> um, she is a chaplain currently, and she's also starting her own business, spiritual care business, and she trains new chaplains. So she has a lot of insight on spiritual care, and I don't want this to deter you if you're kind of like, oh, religion, icky, like I know how it can be totally, but she has really good insight just on how to care for people that are grieving. Her job primarily, she sees patients and, and or families that are going through either a tough diagnosis or a family member that's really, really sick or somebody that is dying, she guides them and she is their, their light for them. So I, I, Kristen and I felt like it was really important to have her on, especially right now. And I do want to let you know that we're, we're, we recorded this from a distance. So my mom recorded this into her laptop's speakers. Kristen recorded it into her iPhone speakers and I have all of the fancy equipment here. So we did do it remotely, but that's that's also explains a little bit of the sound differentials. But I hope that you enjoy this episode and if you do, please subscribe to us. Give us a nice rating and check us out. We are on social media and we also have a website. Everything is following the podcast nice and straightforward. So enjoy, guys. We have your mom today on the podcast. Good morning, morning, Katie. Good morning, Kristen and Dana. Hi, mom. Hey, Dana. (laughs) Katie, is it okay that I use Katie or should I say Mrs. Wilcox or? No, absolutely, Katie. Okay, just want to make sure. Absolutely. It makes it easy to know who's talking because I'll refer to you as mom. There you go. I'll refer to you as Got it. Perfect. So welcome. And thank you for doing this, first of all. I'm so excited um, to hear your side of things. I know at least one of your children is a spectacular human. You're a mom of four. Um, You also have a very interesting career um, that I think Dana and I were super Super excited to have our listeners hear about um, because of the time and where we are in our society. So, Dana, do you want to jump into some of that? Yeah. So, um, we kind of, when Kristen and I first were planning this podcast, we wanted to have you on just because you are a chaplain and you're in the the spiritual care realm. And I think you do a really good job of making... I mean, chaplains are non-denominational, right? And you do a really good job of, of making things 
um, not very strict when it comes to religion. And I mean, that's sort of the, the church, at least that you raised me in. But um, we wanted to bridge the gap for people between religion, spirituality, and just none of that at all. Like if people feel like they have no spirituality or no religion at all, I know you've run into that in your career. So I wanted to start where kind of it all began, which I guess it all might have began when you when you switched over to South Church. What do you think, Mom? When did it all start for you? My path towards becoming a chaplain? When did that begin? Yeah. yeah. I think it really began with the sudden death of my mom because I had my mother died of a heart attack when I was in my 30s and so I had a uh, some religious teaching I had a religious upbringing my dad was a Catholic and my mom was a Lutheran Um, and so I went to church every Sunday and I had a religious upbringing but when my mom died All of a sudden, I needed to know where is she or, um, okay, I was taught there was a heaven, but is there really a heaven? And what does it look like if there is? And I I just started questioning. I had a million questions really centered around my mother. Where is she now? And is she okay? I needed to know she was okay. Uh, So that's really what started me on my journey, I think, towards becoming a chaplain because I was, I had a ton of questions and I needed some answers. And um, I I found my way to the church, Dana, that you grew up in, a congregational church. I found my way to that particular church as I was seeking answers because they didn't give me the answers. (laughs) They honored my questions and they supported me while I was finding my own answers. So as I'm, as I'm saying, reiterate that mom, like, so I think that's a really important point to make that I just want to make clear for people that you found more guidance in people that did not answer your question. So can you give an example of like somebody answering your question and not, not working for you? Well, um, I, I think, I, I don't know if I can give a concrete example at that time, but I know that um, when I, I originally, I don't, wanna, I don't want to say anything bad about any particular religion, so I'm hesitating a little bit. Right. But at that time, I was a, a member of the Catholic Church, and... I went for help there with the priest and the priest was giving me some answers that weren't satisfying to me. So I, I kind of rejected those, the answers that I was getting. And, but I still, I still had this deep craving and yearning for some kind of answer of where is she and is she okay? And so, because I was getting the same kind of answers that I got as a child, and now mm-hmm. I was an adult, and I needed a more, I don't know, a deeper kind of response, I guess. And yeah. so I found my way. I had always heard about this other church, the, the congregational church that you were raised in, Dana. I had always heard about it, 
And um, it sounded similar to the kind of church my mom had gone to, which, you know, she was Lutheran and it was more of a fellowship oriented kind of place. And so I decided to go to that church and try it out. This was during the year following my mom's sudden well, I'm death. sorry, what does fellowship mean versus like congregation? Meaning that they had, they were more action oriented. They, they, um, they were intentional about spending time together, doing things mm -hmm. that were, um, where they could live their faith in action. Whereas my experience in the Catholic Church, this is just a particular Catholic Church. I know that there are also action-oriented Catholic Church. And again, I don't want to say anything bad about any particular religion because, you know, as a chaplain, I think religion is good. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so um, anyway, I found my way to this congregational church, which is really all about people having their own particular journey you know, they, you have your own unique journey towards finding your, the answers that satisfy you or that meet your need and that we're doing, we're on this journey. There's a recognition that we're all on this together and, um, we support one another in it. So I like that. And I felt at home there and I didn't get immediate answers. I didn't need immediate answers. I needed a place where I could explore and raise my questions and my questions were honored. And so, you know, as I'm speaking now, Dana and Kristen, I'm, I'm thinking actually about how, wow, those were the very early roots of, of my, you know, faith journey or my spiritual journey and, and how I was at that time and what I found in that space of the church that I went to is very much how I am a chaplain today, you know, where I, I don't give answers to the people, the people that I meet in my spiritual care also have a ton of questions mm. you know they're searching they're seeking they have questions so i i believe my role is to be with them while they're raising their questions and searching and seeking and help them process to the place where they might find their own answers or alternatively i believe that they already have the answers inside of mm -hmm. them and my job is to help, you know, draw those answers out, their own answers. So I have my own belief system and I support and believe in whatever the patient is that I'm working with, that they have their own belief system. Whatever it is, I'm going to honor it and I'm going to help draw it out at the time when they really need it so that they can provide their own answers, their own satisfying answers. And and find some, some measure of healing, you know, in finding their own answers it almost sounds, in their own process. It almost sounds like the word, and I hope this doesn't minimize it because I have a deep respect for you and what you do, but it sounds like you're sort of a spiritual coach. Yes, that would, yeah, that, that could be another word for it. It's almost like what some of the things that Kristen and I learned in our life coaching course um, definitely sounded like they're applied there. Um, I love, I love, love, love the, the idea of honoring questions. They honored my questions. I love that. Um, and now you are honoring other people's questions. You are taking that, what was so meaningful for you and so life-changing, honestly, for you. Now you are implementing in your own practice. Yeah. And you know, 
it, it took me, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years now. I've been on this journey for 20 years. And it's just, it's interesting how, you know, I went to school, I got this education, I did all this clinical training, and I, and it all proved out, it just proved out what I think I already knew <laughs> from back in my, you know, back in the day when my mom died and I was seeking, and that's what I was coming to know. Those were the early seeds of it. And then I went through this, you know, terrific process. I loved my education. I loved my clinical training. It was hard, but it was so valuable. And, and now I, I, it, it brought me to the same place of, you know, now I'm helping others in the way that people helped me back then, you know, honoring me and my journey and my questions. Yeah, I want to also talk about that because this is something that I, as your daughter, am super inspired by. The fact that, so before I say this, I want to, I want to let people know my parents are divorced, but my parents are model divorced parents. Like I was so lucky that you and dad were very strict about your relationship with each other as it related to us. So when I was raised, I literally thought that my parents were best friends. My dad was over all the time. We would go to my dad's all the time. He was there for every holiday, birthdays, all of that. So I don't want this to sound, but the question that I'm asking, I don't, or the the event I'm bringing up, I don't want to have a bad connotation with it. But I also am extremely inspired by how you dealt with it. So you and dad got divorced when I was about five. And soon after that, you, we, us four kids primarily stayed at your house and you went and got your master's degree in divinity at Yale University while you were a single mom with four kids at home. And I didn't know this until later in my life that you were staying up until all hours of the night, sleeping for a couple hours and then getting up, getting us ready for school and then you going to school yourself. So yeah. can you talk about that a little bit? Because <laughs> I think it's yeah. very inspiring. <laughs> You know, people say to me, how did you do that? And, and God, my first thought is, I have no idea. <laughs> um, but uh, truly, I think I did it. One way I did it, first of all, is that I just was very passionate about doing this work. And so it's that passion that really carried me through. Um, that got me to the to the place where I was doing the work and can do the work. But um, I do recall when I first went to school, I started out slowly. I took two classes. It was a the Master of Divinity is a three year full time graduate degree, where if I was going full time, I would be taking four classes a semester. So I started out taking one. First, initially I took one class because I hadn't been in school for 20 years and I didn't know if I could read or write anymore because I was a mom of four kids. And you know, sometimes when you're a mom of four little kids, you feel like your brain is a little fried. Mm. And so I wasn't sure that I could actually read and write at the graduate level. So I took one class and I just uh, loved it. 
So then I applied to Yale and um, was thrilled that I actually got in. I knew that if I couldn't get in there, this wasn't going to happen because I needed to go to Yale. It was the only school nearby where we live in Connecticut where I could still be a mom to my kids and go to school. So it was all or nothing with Yale. So I was thrilled when I got in and I, there I started out slow too. I took two classes and um, my three-year degree turned out to be a five-year degree so that I could go part-time because I was a mom, really trying to be a mom full-time and go to school part-time. So I learned along the way, you know, I started out by going to soccer games and reading on the sidelines. But then my kids said, Mom, you're not watching my game. So I learned that I needed to um, just be as present as I could as a mom when my kids were home from school. I went to school during the day while you guys went to school. When you came home, I was a mom. And then when you went to bed, that's when I did my schoolwork. So that's why Dana, <clears throat> I would stay up till four in the morning reading and writing. And then I'd sleep for two or three hours and get up with you kids, get you off to school, go down to Yale, go to class. And then that was kind of how I lived my wow. life for those wow. five years. You know, I had summer breaks. I had a break at the holidays, you know, so, but that's just kind of what it took. And that's what I was willing to do because I was so passionate about it. That's incredible. And I believed, I believe in that passion. I believe, you know, in the passion that we have, if we, if we can identify it and recognize it and then things have a way of coming to be, I just really trust in that. So I was trusting in that all along the way that if this is, you know, if this is really my path, if this is, if I'm as passionate, if I, if this is deep, as deeply in me as I believe it is, I'll be able to do it. And you did it. So that's how I did it. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we could just drop the mic right now. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I think, this I, is think, done. I think we're done. Um, well, it's crazy. It was definitely crazy. It was, you know. <laughs> A little crazy, but uh, it was also, I have to say it was very thrilling because Yale was a really great environment. You know, it was just a very exciting learning environment to be a part of for a few years. I'm very grateful for that experience. As hard as it was, I'm very grateful. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so now you are a chaplain and you're you've been a chaplain at a hospital for your whole career different i mean you did your 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 clinical training at one hospital and then you started working at another hospital and so you've worked in different hospital settings right yeah and i also teach right i didn't right, know that right. you were a teacher um, as well yeah yeah can you talk about the teaching well that was an additional um, educational process that I that I um, participated in. Part of being a chaplain is um, in order to be a chaplain in the hospital setting, you need that master of divinity, but you also need 1,600 hours of a clinical educational program. And um, I, 
I had such a great experience in that program that I also decided that I wanted to be an educator for that program. So I practice chaplaincy and I'm also an educator for chaplaincy. So I am a teacher for that clinical, it's called clinical pastoral education. I'm a, an educator for the program that trains chaplains in the clinical setting. That's cool. And when I say clinical setting, I mean hospital, generally. Generally, right. that's what it means. Right. So now we are in this, we're in this time in the world, in our history, where a lot of people are saying and agreeing that we're in a worldwide trauma. There's a, there's a worldwide trauma going on right now. We're all kind of grieving together. And I, I listened to... Uh, Brene Brown's podcast the other day with oh gosh I forget his name but they talked about grief and I'm sure you know I'm sure you know this the the guy's name um but they talk about grief and the the stages of grief and and how he added the stage of spirituality or not spirituality I'm sorry meaning finding meaning in your grief oh good and I yeah and I felt like that that really is where you sit is is in the the meaning part um Mm -hmm. i feel like that's that's it generally where religion sits is you know we have the the anger denial um all that all that stuff i can't remember the others but um the the meaning piece i think is what you run into i mean correct me if i'm wrong but that's what you run into at your job quite often is people that are dying or family members that are losing somebody that they love going to you and looking for meaning. Yes. So how do you, how do you navigate that? I, uh, I define, and I think a lot of chaplains would define spirituality as a person's search for meaning or purpose and connection to something outside of themselves. So in my work, I'm working with the assumption that we all have a spiritual life, just like we have an emotional life, an intellectual life, uh, a physical life. Um, So in the spiritual life, I'm, spiritual care is about um, care for the meaning or purpose that someone has in their life, or that they might be searching for it if they've lost it. And I'm also concerned and I care about whatever someone might be connected to or disconnected from um, that could possibly help them. So meaning is a, is a, you're right, Dana, meaning is a huge part of my work. And uh, right now, I think we're probably all searching for what, what does this COVID pandemic mean? What does it mean for us um, as a, as a country, as a world, as an individual, as a family, you know, what, what does it mean? Um, those are, those are the, you know, and, and again, in my work, I can't answer that question for anyone. I can't answer it for you, Dana, or for you, Kristen. Um, you'll have to find your own meaning, your own answer to this question. What does it mean for you? Um, but I can, I can work with you as you're processing 
and trying to find that meaning. It's so interesting. And like, if, I, if it sounded like your your journey was first, you wanted to find answers. And for me, it seems for me personally, I like a black and white. Like, give me the answer, right? Like, two plus two is four. Yeah. I want the answer. Tell yeah. me. So it it does seem like you may have people like me that are like, aren't you supposed to tell me what this means? How do you come up? How do you meet that resistance maybe in someone like myself who's saying, well, you're supposed to know you're a chaplain, right? How, how do you guide them through yeah. that process of frustration? Well, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm glad you raised that question. Um, so I, I think Sometimes uh, when I, th this is where my experience I think comes in in working with people. Um, I try to make an assessment as to if their search for questions or their search for meaning, their search for an answer is, um, seems like a healthy one and that they're gonna be able to find their way to an answer, then I'm going to be with them as they're processing that. But if they're in such a place that there's a desperation about it and it's not a healthy quest anymore, now it's a really anxiety producing quest, then I'm, I am going to use my, and I'll put in quotes, authority. I do have a certain authority as a chaplain and people do look to me for maybe some answers or I, I like to say some wise counsel. Um, and so I don't necessarily provide a specific answer, but I'll explore with them what some options are. And I might give options of what things could mean. I might provide, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G as possibilities, you know, and then say, what do you think of that? Does any of that make sense to you? Or does any of that help you? So um, the only time I provide a specific answer is if I know a person's particular belief or belief system, and I know that that belief system answers a question in a particular way, then I remind them of what their belief system has to say about it, you know, and, and can you rely on that now? And does that help you now? So does that mean that you are adept at various religions? Like you study Judaism and Catholicism or just meaning that person's personal belief system, morals and values? I'd say it's a little of both. Okay. So I studied in, in divinity school when one goes to divinity school, um, the Master of Divinity degree is you're studying a particular religion. So for me, I studied Christianity, but I've also taken some other classes in other religions. So I don't, so I feel like I know Christianity pretty well, and I know some of the answers or what the faith teaches. Uh, so, you know, I'm also ordained, so part of being ordained is you are to be able to, you, that means you can teach the faith. You have, the faith has recognized you as someone with the um, capacity to teach, that's trustworthy enough to teach, say. The faith recognizes that. I, so, so, so I will answer, you know, according to a faith that I might know. And if I don't know an answer, I'll go look it up. I'll go try and find it. Or I'll ask the person, what does your faith have to say about it? 
what did you learn mm -hmm. in your upbringing? Or what does your belief system now have to say about it? So it, you don't have to have a particular religious tradition. That's why I'm careful to always say, I always use the, the language of belief system. What is it that you believe, you know? Or, mm. or like that, yeah. Yeah, I I know you've, you've mentioned to me before too, like people that come in and, and they might be dying and, and they come, they, they want the chaplain to come and they say, you know, I was raised this way, but I haven't, I haven't practiced religion in 40 years. I don't, I haven't been religious. I haven't really believed in God. I don't, but now I'm dying and yeah. like, what's going to happen to me? And I think that's like, I mean, if somebody asked me that, I would be like, uh, <laughs> how do you, I mean, how do you, how do you navigate that? Well, this is where, you know, um, I, this is where I can, I can speak from the perspective of Christianity. Um, I feel like I could speak more boldly from that place, um, where I can affirm what the faith teaches that there is life after death. Um, and a lot of times people actually, they have, you know, when they're highly anxious, they've forgotten what they know. They've forgotten what they already know. That is you so know? true. So my job is to help them recall what they already know. So having me say that to them, remind them what the faith teaches, they, they, I can see them go, you know, ah, oh, oh yes. You know, but then they might still say, but really, because I had that question too, but really, is there life after death? I had that question with my mom. And uh, then sometimes I will say, well, have you ever had the experience of a loved one that has died, um, had an experience of their presence in your life? And most people say yes. And so that is actually very calming for them too because that reassures them that hmm there must be some life after this because i've experienced them with me and um they also get a sense of calm with the notion that they're going to see them again the loved ones that have died hmm. but yeah dana those are hard questions um and they're very important questions they're the questions, you know. So honoring that, you know, yeah, they honoring are, they them, are the questions. Honoring honoring the questions is huge. Yeah. Well, I, I I wanted to bring in the other another aspect of your role as chaplain, and I think it it applies to what's going on right now because I know you've mentioned it to me that you know you are also the bridge between the patient and the nurses and doctors sometimes of of comfort and the patient's needs and bringing in a phone so that they can call their loved ones if they can't be in the room with them and doing doing things to make sure that the the patient and the family are are feeling supported by the hospital so can you speak to that a little bit so hearing you talk what i'm what i hear in what you're saying is i'm connecting it's that connection piece again I don't want the patient to be in the room all alone by themselves, right? Because we have a need for connection. So 
you know, sometimes the patient might say, might tell me about something that's going on for them internally, or they may even say, you know, my mother died last week, or I'm going through a divorce, or they're going through a, a particularly hard time, which I believe is going to impact their health, you know, and their ability to heal. And so I will say, have you told your doctor that? Because they need, and so that's, then I might go tell the doctor if they haven't. You know, did you, did you know that they lost their loved one or that they're going through a divorce? Because I'm, I'm helping the doctor understand, you know, a, a whole picture of the patient. Uh, they, they may not have told their doctor, and that's important information. <clears throat> or if they haven't told, a lot of times patients don't tell their loved ones how sick they really are because they don't want them to worry. And so... Um, because of because I believe so strongly in the need for connection, um, I will really encourage and advocate for this patient to tell their family what is going on, so that they can get the support they really need. You know, the family needs to know, so that they can support them more fully. Um, so I will encourage and advocate for the patient to tell the family, and I will sometimes facilitate a conversation with the family and help them and give them some language if they need help with language. Well, how am I going to tell them? I've had parents say to me, how do I tell my child that I'm going to die? Um, you know, things like that. So I, um, that's the connection piece that I'm, I'm working with. And, um, I'm an advocate for that connection and for that patient to make that connection so that they can get the support and the help they need. So one of the things that I was curious about, I have a general understanding of what a chaplain is or does, and I'm getting more information as we talk, um, but how, like, it sounds like you work with not only the patient, but also the family, and it, I, I my understanding is, or my, I guess it's probably what movies and media has put in my head of a chaplain is it's usually someone very close to death that somebody comes in and, you know, makes their passing smoother and lets them, reminds them that God is with them. Um, but it, the way that I'm learning as we're talking is that it sounds like this may be someone that's in a situation that's just um, very serious or maybe it's it's not an end of life situation, but it could be. Um, so it sounds like not only the patient, but the family can receive from lack of better words, counseling, spiritual guidance from you. Um, so how would a family or a person, like, do they have to request a chaplain come to their side? How does that work? You're reminding me that a lot of the work I do really the, a lot of the work I'm doing is centered around helping the patient or the family cope with what's going on, whether it's end of life or it could be a hip replacement, but helping them cope. So I often tell, say to staff, if you have a patient or a family that's having a hard time coping with what's going on, whatever the situation, call me. And that's because I'm going to now try to see, find out what in their belief system 
can help them cope with what's going on. I think that's super important what you just said because sometimes people don't want to speak up because they're thinking to themselves, well, I'm not terminal, so right. I'm not going to ask for help. But really, this is the worst thing I've ever dealt with, yes. losing my whatever, my normal life. Yeah. You're having a loss of some sort. So I think that's something that's really important that I didn't understand um, before yeah. asking the question and that people hopefully will learn that, listen, you're in a situation that's changing your life and you're having a hard time dealing with it. So please, this is a resource and a tool for you. So I'm, I'm really glad that you're saying that a way to cope. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, in the hospital, pretty much everyone is afraid. It's mm. scary. It's a, it's mm -hmm. a, it's a scary place. And, um, so some people can cope with that situation just they just they have a healthy a healthy way of coping or they have family and friends that are supportive you know and so some people are fine and they don't need the help of a chaplain to help with the coping and others uh, it just depends on the individual and it and the situation need a little help with their coping and so my my role is to see what about what is it in their spiritual life that could help them. Are they disconnected to from something, from a source of goodness, a source of health, and can I help them reconnect so that they can make use of that as a source of comfort and health or courage? Or um, are they struggling with meaning? You know, why is this happening to me? A lot of people uh, answer that question with, I must have done something wrong. Hmm. And that's not a very, that's a stressful answer. That's a stressful meaning. So then I try to explore other meanings with them so that they, they may be able to find a meaning that will help them, that they can settle into and, um, you know, reduce their anxiety a little bit with a, with a healthier meaning. So um, you also asked me, how do people request a chaplain? and or do they request a chaplain mm -hmm. um some people do some don't and i think um, a lot of people have your image of the chaplain coming at the end of life so they're afraid actually when i walk in the door and i say that i'm the chaplain mm -hmm. um, that's something that i'm up against all the time is trying to uh, you know i say to people i'm the chaplain but don't let that scare you and then I have to explain a little bit about what I do so that they know yeah. that it doesn't mean, you know, that they're about to die. I'm there really as a support. I, I often say I'm a support person because I am. I'm, I'm there to support them and to encourage the use of their own beliefs to help them cope. And so I think, you know, right now in the hospital and in our community, um, the anxiety is through the roof, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so what is it that each of us has that we already have that we've had all along that maybe we used before to help us cope that we could use right now to help us cope with the anxiety so high we forget we forget what it is we have you know so I think that's uh, that's an important question is for now is like, what is it that you've used before? What is it that you already have that you, that you have used before this pandemic to help you cope? 
uh, and can you do it now? Yeah, I, I'm having a little trouble with the word cope because the word coping mechanisms come mm -hmm. up mm -hmm. and some ways to cope are, and maybe this sounds like a judgment, are not healthy. Correct. So there is, uh, there's almost like a double edge to that where I know that the intention of what you're saying is 100% pure, um, but that question can be turned with with certain personalities. Um, yes, I'm 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 asking that question with the assumption I, that uh, there's an assumption there um, that yes, I'm talking about healthy coping. Right, right. So when you have those conversations, you're again assessing uh, like the urgency and the answers and. The type of answers that you're you're receiving so it's not just a general question it, you you go with a back and forth and you pull out the best possible scenario for that person i yeah i often say have you ever felt a sense of peace or calm in your life mm -hmm. okay you're, yeah 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 i don't i don't say what have you this is good Kristen. this is good clarification I don't. I don't say what is it. What is it, what is it that you've done in the past to help you cope? Uh, um, I I do get more specific and say, have you ever had that experience of feeling peace or calm? And what is it? What does that look like? And pretty much everyone has an answer to that question. I think that's super important right now. Is everyone? that hears this or everyone in, in our country right now is feeling some sort of way about this. Some people feel happy one day and then not the next and so on. So just those, those lines of questioning that people can ask themselves right now is what's maybe something that you've dealt with in the past that's you know, not maybe a trauma or an unfortunate situation. And wh how did you find the peace? I love that you said that, you know, how did you find the calm in that? I think that's a great question yeah. we can all ask yes. ourselves. And it's, and it's not even that they had that experience when they were going through something bad. I mean, it's just, mm. um, have you ever felt a sense of peace or calm in your life before now? You know, now I'm talking about when I'm in the hospital, but this definitely relates to this situation that we're in now with this pandemic. And so most people, the great majority of people have an answer to that question. And they say things like nature. A lot of people say nature. A walk in the woods. Yeah, sitting at the beach. And so when I'm working with a patient in the hospital, they, they can't go for a walk in the woods and they can't go to the beach. But we talk about, can you go there in your mind? Mm. And um, or they'll say poetry. I've had patients talk about poetry. So then I'll get them the poetry that they like. Uh, we had one gentleman that liked mm -hmm. to look at the um, animals in his backyard. He had woods. So we went and got some National Geographic magazines that were at a, a doctor's office so that he could look at some animals, you know? And so what are those things that have brought you peace or calm in your life? And let's do them now. I'm just, I'm over here smiling like that. I could just picture this, this man being lit up by National Geographic magazines, you know? Like that's just this little light that you helped with and it just feels yeah. really, 
really nice and peaceful. Yeah, we have to encourage that, you know. So once once they've identified it, then my job is to encourage that and support it and facilitate it. And then on the next day, if they've forgotten again, I can remind them. Mm -hmm. Well, remember, you, you know, you like walking in the woods. Um, you know, so that's what we need to do for one another. Mm -hmm. Because we forget these things when we're worried. Do you think that your training as a chaplain has helped you with being a mom? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was probably an obvious answer, but yeah. can you speak a little bit more about that? And 100%. How, how, yeah. yeah. <laughs> eh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it was, this was a question for Dana, too. <laughs> yeah. Well, she's all right. Yeah. You know, as a mom, I think, um, you know, we're constantly, we're, with each phase of our children's lives, like my children are all adults now, but with each phase, we have to kind of learn all over again how to be a mom of this new phase. Oh, yeah. And so for my adult kids in particular, even for my, you know, high school kids, learning how to not be the provider of all the answers, because when your children are very small, we do give them all the answers. We're teaching them, you know? Um, and as they grow up, I think my chaplaincy has helped me be okay with my children's own exploration of, of their questions, you know, allowing for that and, and honoring, once again, honoring the questions my kids have, the, the journeys they're on, the paths they're on, you know, the choices they're making honoring that that's so uh, letting go of the control yeah. you know because when again when they're really little you have to be in control because their <laughs> safety is at risk yes. you know yes. so you're major league in control and in charge of them as li real little ones I, I was gonna say I remember saying you know you've raised a really great daughter you know what's your advice and you said that she came this way you know, they, <laughs> you protect them for the first, like you said, the safety, yeah. protect them for the first five, six, seven years, whatever, you know, <laughs> and along yeah. the way, but, but honoring who they came in this world as. Mm -hmm. in, Letting go of the control over the yeah. years yeah. and allowing for them to take con their control. That's, it's a fine line, you know, <laughs> that's it. You're constantly discerning how much control can I let them have and how much control do I need to maintain? You know, and um, uh, yeah, I'm laughing. What do you? This is making me laugh. I'm laughing because I feel like I feel like yeah, you did. I mean, I'm not trying to toot my own horn or toot your horn too. Well, I'll toot your your horn all day, but I feel like you did do a good job with me because if you didn't, I think I would be a not like I and you and I have talked about this before, Mom. That. I mean, I have, I can be kind of intense. Like I had definitely have a little bit of an intense intensity really? to me and you, and, <laughs> and you have helped me kind of harness it in a really positive way, in a way that now I'm a yoga teacher and now I'm, I, I, I'm doing things that I really love and I'm really passionate about because I feel like that drive that I have, that I've always had, it could have easily been 
been bad. I could I could have easily turned out as a bad person. Well, or like a narcissist. Yeah, I do remember you having this kind of enormous energy that was powerful and wonderful and also a little scary as a mom and thinking to myself, okay, I have to be careful not to squash this. I have to be careful to allow for it uh, because I think one day it's going to be pretty great. <laughs> and uh, all along the way, I kept saying, please, will that day come? When was that day going to come? <laughs> please. Um, but I, uh, it's come. The day has come. And it's kind of, it's pretty awesome to see it come to fruition. But, you know, also, Kristen, to answer your question a little more, the similarities between chaplaincy and parenting, you know, I often use the, that language of uh, holding space. Mm -hmm. And um, you do that in both. You know, in chaplaincy, I'm holding space for the patient or the family to raise their questions or to um, process what's going on and finding some way to cope a little better with it. And as a parent, too, you're holding space for all that energy and for whoever they are and however they came, I'm holding space for that to develop and grow. Um, and that, but holding space, I remember the pediatrician when I was a brand new mom, she said, my job, you know, your job is to keep them safe and love them mm -hmm. and then let them explore. And that was the best advice I ever got. I mean, she told me that when I had my first baby, my first little one, and I was saying, how often do I, I don't want to have to tell him no. You know, how often, when do I need to say no? Because I want it to be a yes, a, a mom that was like, yes. And she said, yeah, don't tell them no. Let them explore. Just provide a safe environment. Keep them yeah. safe and let them explore. So I've kind of lived that way as a mom. And, and that's kind of similar in chaplaincy. You know, I'm, I'm holding space. I'm keeping a safe hopefully a safe place. My patients feel safe with me, safe enough to explore what is going on with them. There's so much yoga in this conversation. It's lot. like making me, it's making so many light bulbs go off on my head. of like, oh, we talked about that in teacher training. Oh, I've been through this in yoga. And, and I was thinking about what you said earlier of what have you had before this that you always have or that you have now you can access. And my immediate thought was my breath. And what do, I, what do you believe in that you mm -hmm. believed in before this that can guide you now? And my thought was my breath. Mm -hmm. yeah. It was the first thing that popped into my head. And, um, and it's funny because now that I've, I've really, in the last year and a half, dove very deep into yoga, I'm, I, you both know I'm super into it. I love the, the yoga shop and the community that is created, that has been created there and, um, and it's made me almost take a step back from my religious upbringing. Um, and I recently, there's, there's only been a few like poignant moments in my life where I felt a very strong sense of God and like I needed God and I needed prayer and I needed my religion. And I'm, and it, it happened during this. It happened when my sister, Siobhan, uh, she's a travel nurse. And so she does these three-month contracts. And she can go to different cities for those three months. Or she can stay in one city for up to nine months. 
So her contract was recently just up. And so my, my whole family was like, don't resign, don't resign, because we want her to stay safe and we don't want her to get this virus. And um, there's some concern there. And so I, when she, she decided to resign another contract, so she's working for three more months because she didn't want to, you know, she's a super good person and she didn't want to leave them hanging and she wanted to help. And it made me really nervous and it made me really nervous because Siobhan has some pre-existing conditions and I've seen her get really sick before and I don't want to see that happen again and I had a, a, a just a really strong sense of God and I had to I'm I reached out to the minister at my church and I said and he knows Siobhan's history and I reached out to him and I said, Siobhan just re-signed another three-month contract and I'm really worried about her. I can't, I, I said, I can't lose her. Can you just send some prayers her way? And I like really needed that yeah. and I really needed him to know. Yeah. And I'm, it's funny because the religion doesn't come up a whole lot for me, but I'm really grateful that I was raised with one that I feel like I can explore and that I feel like I can access. And I, and I have a, you know, the minister at our church is so welcoming and so, so okay with, with people taking breaks, people exploring people. There's, I mean, the church is always there. It's always there. You don't, you know, you don't have to don't have to go every Sunday to worship. It's funny you're saying that. I was talking with a yogi the other day about how they hadn't realized that they're the normal when you have these long breaks because Mm -hmm. life gets in the way or whatever takes you from the studio. And, And I'm not trying to say yoga is religion or religion is like yoga, but that's that's like anything important in our lives. I think it's always with you and you can take it from the actual physical place and carry it with you. And it's nice to have those um, those gathering places when it's safe to do that, right? And, and a place to go back home and, and soak it in. But it's never not with you just because you're not physically there. Right. Right. And, and it's, it's a really, it's really powerful. And when I, when those moments, those, I mean, I literally, I can think of three in my life where, and, and this was one of them, the one that I just described where I'm like, I feel like God is right here and I need it. I need that feeling and I need that. And you know, whether or not you believe in religion or any religion at all, to have a moment like that where you feel like there is something greater than you that is guiding you and helping you and supporting you, like, I hope everybody gets to experience that. Whether it's with religion or with, with yoga, with spirituality, with the universe, whatever it is, it's, I just, I, I guess I encourage, I encourage you to, to allow it because it, it's really powerful. It definitely helped me. Katie, what, what would you recommend to someone, or, or and maybe you've already answered this, um, that maybe hasn't found that sense of connectedness? Because I heard you say connection, and I think that is what spirituality and God is. It's, it's a faith and a connection to that faith and trusting in it. Um, 
I, there must have been at some point, and I, I don't want a, a specific name or anything like that, but there must have been a point where you've had someone that has not had a faith or, or a religion, um, and you did mention belief system. Um, is that what you tend to lean towards when you have someone that maybe hasn't had that connection or community? I tend to lean towards religion. Uh, no, the the question of like belief system, right, or your morals and values. I I um, I, I use the kind of an open ended question of belief system just to see if they do have one, and mm -hmm. whether it's organized or not, and um, and if they don't, that's when I explore. Well, where do you get your you know any sense of peace or calm in your life. Yeah. Um, so I want to say that, you know, spiritual care, I view spiritual care as a, you know, I, I often say it's like an umbrella term. <laughs> Religion fits in that umbrella. It's actually kind of a smaller part of the umbrella because not that many people nowadays um, identify with the formal religion. And so I think people either have a formal religion and they, they, have a, they practice their spiritual life in the framework of that formal religion, whatever it is, or they don't have that, they don't identify with the formal religion, but they still have a spirit, they, they still have a spiritual life. I, I believe we all have a spiritual life. So they still have a spiritual life. So what is that? I'm curious about what is that? What does mm -hmm. that look like? And so when people say nature, I get a sense of that there's, that I'm a part of something bigger when I'm out in nature, mm -hmm. you know, or when I see mm -hmm. a flock of birds go overhead, I know that something is making that happen. That's not me. It's outside of me. That is wonderful. So mom, where do you go when somebody says, um, what, what's, where have you had peace and where, what do you access when you're going through a tough time? Well, for me, um, I would say nature is one of them for sure. You know, I, I can always count on a good walk in the woods <laughs> for some good grounding. And, um, you know, my, my um, I want to say Christianity too. Like the other day, since I studied it, uh, the other day, a couple of weeks ago when I was in the hospital, and this pandemic had come on. There were some COVID patients there. I was going to get, go see a patient that was not COVID, non-COVID patient, that was nearing the end of his life. And I couldn't see him at the moment I went to go see him. He was being worked on with a, a nurse. So I sat at the nurse's station and um, I don't normally do this, but I did on this day, I think because of COVID, because of the extra anxiety I was feeling from COVID. I sat at the nurse's station and I opened up, I have a little prayer book that I travel with in case somebody has a, you know, it's, wants to hear something from the Bible or some sacred text. And I opened it up and I started reading um, from the Old Testament, which is, ancient, and I read from the Psalms, which is considered wisdom literature. And it had such a calming effect on me. And so here I am, the chaplain, you know, <laughs> realizing that, yes, my religion does help me. You know, I sat there and I read it and I calmed down. My, my 
the fear that I was feeling around COVID because I was on a unit that had a COVID patient, the fear I was feeling calmed down when I returned to those sacred texts that I had studied and that I, um, I feel deeply rooted in and connected to that the Old Testament in particular, something about the Old Testament that um, because that's the stories are ancient, they're ancient stories. Mm. That's nice. That's beautiful. Yeah, that I mean, even just look, just looking at it as a text and forget the religious connotation, right. forget the fact that it birthed this, you know, some major religions in the world. The fact that it was written by humans thousands and thousands of years ago. Yeah. And it still resonates. The stories. That's connection right there. That's connection with an ancient, Mm -hmm. you know? Yep. We're all connected. That's right, Dana. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Sing it, sister. (laughs) So I want to open up the question to Kristen. Kristen, where do you go? What do you do when when you're struggling, when you're having a hard time coping with something what do you think about or what do you physically do? To I am, yeah, um, I guess I'm going to speak to this situation right now in particular because it's very real um, and it's changed because um, normally I would go out. I, I get out of my house. I I do, you know, nature's definitely something, but um, going and practicing yoga, things like that. But right now we're kind of, I don't want to say grounded at home because I can certainly go outside and go for a walk, which we do. But I, I like music. I like car rides. I like, um, just, just being alone and doing those things. I love my family to death. They're the best. They're silly and goofy. My kids are at great ages and, um, we have a lot of fun, but, but it, to me as an introvert, I need, that space alone. So a good car ride lately with the music, my old high school tunes, it makes me giggle a little bit because <laughs> of some of the songs. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what I do. What about you, Dana? Um, I think I think my breath is probably my greatest tool when I'm struggling. And it's funny because I, I used to have pretty bad anxiety and um, and my brother and I had similar similar symptoms of anxiety that in the in the sense that him and I both the way that it showed up for both of us is that we would feel like we can't catch our breath. And so I have like distinct memories in high school of of feeling anxious and feeling like no breath I take is deep enough, no breath I take is getting enough air in. And now I do yoga and now my breath is my greatest asset. And when I'm feeling like yesterday, I felt so anxious all day. Honestly, the last two days I woke up anxious and I felt it all day, both days. And I had to really hone in on my breath. So I think my my breath is, is really what is my saving grace when I'm struggling um, that and and I think about Vermont. I am so mm-hmm. grateful that I was raised going to Vermont. My dad, my dad would take us to Vermont almost any weekend in the winter that um, that we were with him. And so I have a deep, deep love and connection to Vermont. My dad lives there now. One of my brothers lives there, and 
so I think about I think about being at my dad's house or being on my brother's property, which are both beautiful. They both have beautiful views. So I think about that. So now I know when Kristen is having a tough time, I can say, when is the last time you went for a car ride and listened to music? Or I can <laughs> say, saying out loud. Yeah, I can say to Data, what about your breath? Or can you take yourself to that view in Vermont? You know, you don't have to physically be there, but you can take yourself there in your mind. Right. I just immediately feel better now that you've said that. Like, I wasn't feeling particularly anxious or anything, but when you just reminded me yes. of that, sometimes hearing it outside of your own head mm-hmm. feels nurturing and calming. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's... Thank you, yeah. Katie. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So this is, I think, as far as as like people listening, I think this is a really good, a really good sort of lesson, I guess, in caring for each other. And mm. you know, we talk about checking in on each other. We talk about reaching out to family and friends and all of that. And I think a lot of people are doing that, and that's awesome. But I think this is this is another layer that you can tack onto that when you reach out to your friends, when you reach out to your family asking them these questions and then you know you know my best friend when she's struggling i know what helps her is is taking a walk yeah and you can remind her going and listening to music or whatever and you can say well have you walked yet today have you know have you can you do that right now can you go take five minutes and listen to your favorite song and dance around in your bedroom like a maniac what can you you know (laughs) um so i i think that's that's uh very relevant and yeah, I think that it's funny because the, go ahead. The question of what what has brought you peace and calm before or have you ever felt it before? You know, have you ever felt it before is a really important question and then supporting that in one another. Mhm. So right before we had kind of started this um narrative, I had wrote down powerless and um, how to help family. So I'm thinking about a very recent situation and I think social media can get a little tricky because we're friends with everybody there. You know, like you just, you you have one level in your friends, right? It's not like best friends or close circle or whatever. Um, And it's people that we've met in various stages of our lives. And um, without going into too much detail or, or just speaking generally, often, you know, we'll see somebody that lost a pet or a family member and things like that. And, you know, you write a comment there of, you know, so sorry for your loss. And it, to me, it feels like it is real. And I, I put my, you know, little prayer hands there and I do take a moment and send that energy and love their way. But it's, it's hard because you want, to me, I feel like I want to do more and give more comfort. But how have you felt as a chaplain that there is a barrier? Like there's, um, I don't know, I don't know how to phrase the question that I'm trying to, to get here, but it's, there's this social media aspect to trauma, to difficult situations that people will put out and then you feel, I feel called to help, but there's only so much I feel I can help with because maybe this is a friend from a long time ago that I don't really know that well. How do you navigate that? Or what would you say 
to someone that is wanting to do more but doesn't like you don't know your I feel like I don't know my place in it is it is it the right thing to do um, does that make any sense? To be, does that make any to be, sense? To be commenting <laughs> in social media, to be showing support and yeah, like there's there's definitely there. It's easy to put a comment, right? Yeah. But what action from there feels appropriate is a hard thing to navigate. As yeah, as like the should world you be is. reaching out personally outside of social yeah. media? Yeah, there's sort of that aspect to it. Yeah. Um. I, I, I want to say right off the bat, yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. Um, but that, that's a big, broad, general question. So um, generally, a response, I would say, is yes. We should always be trying to reach out and support one another because we need that connection, you know. So, But the, the question... Um, if you talk about an ind- a particular situation, that's where it becomes more unique, right? So it kind of depends on the situation and the relationship, I think, um, that you've had to decide what to do next. So it's hard for me to give a broad answer of this is what you should do next. I, I mm-hmm. think you have to go on an individual basis. I think, yes, the, the broad answer is yes, you should always do something next. Yeah. Yes. Um, you can do no harm by caring about somebody, right? Um, I don't think generally, um, the, but what to do next is really based more on the relationship that you've had. If you had a, an inter relationship where you see the person, you actually see them or you talk with them on the phone or whatever kind of relationship you had, the nature of it, I would say still continue with that and pursue that. Because we don't want to that person to think, I can't grieve with Kristen in, in this way. And you know, Kristen isn't going to, um, if you pull away from the way you've normally interacted, I think it would be human nature for someone to understand that as, oh, I can't be sad around her. You know. Right. So right. I would say continue with your normal way of being, whatever that is. If you only comment once a year on Facebook, then that's appropriate. Right. Yeah. But if if you s- talk to them regularly and see them regularly or send them cards regularly or just do what you would normally do, because this isn't a normal situation they're in by any means. But right. we we want to let them know that we're still I'm still with you. I'm still going to be with you in the ways we always have been, even though you're going through this hard thing, you're going to be giving them the message that you're still with them. You're with them. Does that help? Yeah. No, that's good. I think that I'm a super awkward person with, uh, in particular, death. Yeah. So if to I think me a lot of people Yes, you, yes you're, you're not alone. You're not alone. You never know. Like, <laughs> you don't want to say too much, and you don't want to yeah. say too little, and you don't want to overstep, and you want to give space. And um, I... I I'm thinking of someone that lost a parent. Really, they're they're my age, and their parent is uh, is now gone. And I, to me, I I would just be angry. I would be so mad. And and I think there's time where you let that person honor that feeling and that wave. And 
um, to me, I pull back and just let them do their, their stage. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and check in. But, um, yeah, it is, it, it feels awkward to hold space and still feel like, let that person know you're there for when they're ready. Yeah. There's, it's a very interesting dynamic. I think you named something really important, Kristen, when you said that you feel awkward and Dana, you agreed with that. You know, I, I think that's really important to acknowledge that because I do think most people feel that way. You know, I'm I'm kind of, I don't mean to sound harsh now when I say this, but I'm kind of in this business. I'm in this business. This is my business, you know, the business of grief and loss and death and dying. So I, I you know, it's not that I'm comfortable with it, but I've learned how to work with it and be with it and enter into it. Um, Mm -hmm. and uh, because that's the nature of my work and I'm exposed to it every day. Uh, but most of us are not, you know, we we only learn of it every once in a while when we have a friend who loses a loved one. And so we don't, we aren't as practiced in it in our culture. We don't talk about it. Um, those hard emotions, you know, they're hard to, to share. Um, I, I um, I want to give credit where credit is due when I talked about that Brene, Brene Brown podcast because I'm going to go back to it. Um, so on her podcast, on Unlocking Us, she had David Gessler on and they talked about grief and finding meaning. And um, on that podcast, he talks about the, the stages of grief and how a lot of people get mad, will reach out to him and be and get mad about the stages of grief because they're looking at it linear, like um, linear. Mm-hmm. So they look at it as like uh, pe- people get angry that that they're trying, like as if he's trying to put their grief in a in a cookie cutter in a in a box. And he talks about how it's not, it's never in it's never in a box, and people just. It's something that a lot of people struggle with talking about and conceptualizing and it's icky for a lot of people, you know? So I think that resorting to to feeling like anger or feeling upset um, when people do try to categorize your grief, I think it's because a lot of people don't know fully, I don't know how I'm trying to say this, but people don't, it, it's something that we're not super comfortable talking about we're not it's not it's not common we don't it's not a common topic that we're all like let's just sit down and talk about grief let's talk about death and dying like that's not something that we as humans discuss regularly unless you're my mom but or or david kessler you know the thing that i think one of the interesting things about grief is like it's universal we're all going to experience it you know if we haven't already, we will at some point in our lives. And right now we're probably all grieving because we've all lost a lot in in this pandemic. But so it's a, it's a universal experience for we're all going to have it. Um, But the flip side of that is, you know, it's also very unique and individual and each person is going to grieve in their own way. And so one of the hard parts, I think, about how do you be with someone grieving is that very fact that everybody's going to do it in their own way. And so, you know, again, we need to honor whatever, you know, unique grief 
grieving path or journey a person is on. Um, acknowledge it, recognize it. And also as an individual, I have to be careful, yeah, that I don't have to, I don't have to fit into a cookie cutter book description of grief. I, I can't, you know, I'm going to have my own grief process. And that's actually something I learned in the, when I grieved my mom's death, I, I did, I learned that I had my own process. People couldn't tell me how to grieve. And, um, <laughs> I had to just grieve. I had to enter into it and grieve. That's the way I think we heal with our grief is when we actually enter into it. Mm. So um, I think, Kristen, that's maybe another another suggestion to as a something to consider with your with your friend is she or he is going to have their own process, and I'm just going to um, hold space for it, honor it, whatever it looks mm-hmm. like. Yeah, I think, I mean, I don't know, mom, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think one of the, one of the things that's made me a better person, a better friend when dealing with my friend's grief or my friend's loss is tapping into my own experience. I mean, I haven't lost a family member that's super close to me, um, but I've, experienced loss in other ways like when we had we had a house fire and I that was a huge loss for us and the whole it felt to me it felt like the whole community just I felt supported by everybody people just came out of the woodwork and were helping us and were were making sure that we just that we had like like band-aids you know like you for when you have a, you don't think about like random things you need like Advil like you don't think that you don't think about those things when you're going through that. And so it wasn't a loss of a parent. It wasn't a loss of somebody that I love, but it was a loss of my childhood home. And I, it was really meaningful for me to have people that I hadn't talked to in a while just, just show support by whether it was by just giving us a first aid kit or by just saying, let me know if you need anything. I'm here. And, and saying it in, a, in such a way that I believed them. I believed them that they're there for me. Yeah. You know, so I don't know if it's incorrect to kind of tap into my own experience when I'm helping somebody else, but I think it's it can be really meaningful just to say, I'm so sorry and I'm, I'm here. Like, I'm, I'm here for you. Yeah, those are really important words to say. And those, those are the only words you really do need to say, I think hearing you talk, Dana, you're, you're reminding me of a book that is very important to me um, in my practice called The Wounded Healer by Henry Nowen. People in my work know this book. Um, it's a very accessible book. It's a small book. Henry Nowen's a theologian, and he talks about uh, one of his, one of the phrases in his book is the only way out is through. So he's talking about grief. The only way out of grief is to go through it. Unfortunately, mm. you know, we have to go through it to get out of it. And um, and then he talks about making use of it once you're once you're through it. And just what you described is making use of it. You had this experience of loss yourself. You know what that feels like. You know how it 
how much it meant to you to have people help you. And so now, you know, you're making use of that experience, your own grief and your own suffering. And when you say, I'm here for you, you, you can say it with real meaning and with real depth and people will get it. You don't have to say, I'm here for you because I know what it's like to grieve because I had a house fire. You don't even need to say that. Right. They just will know. They will know that, that you know right. um, by who you are and the way you express it and the way you say it. Um, it's authentic and real and they'll know it and it will, and it will help. So making use of it, making use of this experience of grief, as painful and as hard as it is to go through it, you can make use of it in your life. Mm. And, um, you know, it makes us a much more compassionate people. You know, when we can, when we, that's, I think that's how I became the compassionate person I am, is I've learned how to make use of the the grief I've experienced. Right. It literally changed the course of your career because what were you doing before 33, yeah. you said you were, when your mom passed? What were you doing prior to that? Yeah, I was <laughs> I was a landscape architect. That's completely, like, I'm, yeah. I'm thinking of, like, pages, paper, uh, pencil, paper, like, very fine. Exactly. No people. No, no people connection. involved. Right. Mm. Drawing. Drawing. But it was nature, yeah. you know? I got into landscape architecture because I love nature, you know? So there's a connection there. Hmm. I, I, I was, I drew, I drew, I made designs, you know, uh, of, I created spaces in nature <laughs> as a landscape architect. Do you think that any piece of that is part of your chaplaincy? now i know that's a weird question and a in a very strange bridge um no pun intended <laughs> I no like pun it. intended i like but it but i i do feel there there I, i've said this before reasons and seasons for everything we've done in our lives and maybe it was just mm-hmm. the tenacity to get through school but do you think any part of that that job i guess or career that you had helped you in what you're doing now um, yes, and I have, you know, have thought about that over the years. And, um, you know, in landscape architecture, you, you, you have to look at the, you're creating a big picture. You know, you look at the big picture uh, of a landscape, and you're considering all kinds of elements in the landscape. And everything you do has a purpose. Each plant you, you place, there's a reason for it. And um, I, I, I think in chaplaincy, a lot of times, you know, I have to look at the big picture. And in healthcare, too, I think we talk a lot about the whole person and looking at the, the big picture of the whole, the whole person. And, um, and also, you know, valuing each, each element or each part of that person. You know, I happen to specialize now. I'm, my specialty is spiritual care. You know, so that's the element I'm most interested in. But it's a part of a whole. It's not just the one thing of a person. It's a it's a part of a larger whole. And I think finding beauty. I mean, I, I finding beauty in the landscape. I I I also I find beauty in each person I meet. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing I like about chaplaincy is I have had 
an opportunity to meet all kinds of people from every walk of life in every social situation. And um, there's beauty in each person that I meet. Um, and that's very similar landscape architecture. There's beauty in each, each part of the landscape. If that, I, I don't know, that is that makes a lot sense? of sense. That. Yeah, that was beautifully said, actually. She made us mic drop again, Dana. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if only I could wow. see. Yeah. I know. I know. We're not. We're not. We're not together, but we are at the same time. Yes, kind of like this pandemic. Yeah. I know. If we can, hey, if we can find connection in words that were written down thousands of years ago, we can find connection now with each other yeah and you can yeah and you can see even now right with this pandemic and we have to stay apart right we're all staying home staying apart but look at the ways people are seeking connection mm -hmm. and finding connection and making connection it's quite incredible and I, that to me you know that's the spiritual pursuit i, I spiritual pursuit word it's the yeah. new game that's the game of the <laughs> Let's start it right now. <laughs> that actually, <laughs> that brings up a, <laughs> all right, fine. <laughs> um, so in, in the crisis that we have going on, uh, and I, I don't know if you know this or if you're doing this yourself, are there online settings where someone can go to find service, um, chaplain service or spiritual counseling, um, spiritual explore their spiritual pursuits like <laughs> we just mentioned? Well, in, the, in my discipline in, of spiritual care, of chaplaincy, um, people are being much more creative now in how they can maintain a connection with their patient. You know, their, their telechaplaincy is kind of a, a new thing right now in this era. Um, just like families are video conferencing to stay connected, chaplains in the healthcare setting, if they're not actually in the building offering care, because a lot of times chaplains aren't allowed in rooms anymore because of the, the potential of, for transmission of this, you know, we're trying to minimize the transmission of this in the hospital setting. So still trying to offer care over the telephone is one way that that's happening these days. So chaplaincy hasn't come to a halt. We're just trying new ways to be able to continue to offer spiritual care, really probably now more than ever. But, but what it's if, needed. But what if, so what if I am seeking spiritual care? I'm not a member of a church. Oh, how, where do I even start? What do I even, how do I even start seeking that out? Mm, that's a good question. Um, and what if going to a church makes me feel like churches are because sometimes churches people don't like going to church makes them feel uncomfortable they don't like walking into they don't want to walk into a church they don't want to walk into a yoga studio right. either and whatever we don't know yeah right fear, how can we take the fear right, right, out of right. starting the journey hmm Good questions. Oh, we stumped her, Kristen. <laughs> yeah, jeez. Took you a while, though. She's got to be interesting. <laughs> yeah, you, you'll, you'll find an answer. Yeah. 
it's inside of me. I just have to, we just have to dig it out. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. You know, I think that this discipline, we haven't moved out of the clinic. We really haven't moved out of the clinic and in the community. I think you're, you know, you find chaplains in the clinic. And I think maybe this will, maybe, maybe this will be one of the outcomes of this pandemic is maybe this discipline will be, you know, find its way into the community more. I don't know. We'll see. I think, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm bridging a little bit of a gap here and maybe, um, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but Dana, you have such the, you have such a connection with spirituality and you yourself are a life coach, you know what I mean? And I don't want to minimize chaplaincy, but there is this spiritual aspect that I think is very relatable, um, to a younger generation that is less, it's less about like that we're on my ignorance of a chaplain is someone that you're on your, your deathbed, um, or your terminal, you know, this conversation alone is shedding light that no, that's not what this is. And there is a pathway to something bigger. We just all have to find it. So there, there are people like yourself, Dana, that can help spread that word and that message. So the answer is almost within you, you know, you are part of, Mm. in my mind, you are part of that answer in, um, guiding people, you know, already you do, you're doing it already and you don't even know it. Interesting. Hmm. Hmm. I think that's true. Yeah, I am. Uh, I will say I am fascinated by religion. It is something that's always fascinated me. And I do, I mean, I, I help out at, at, at the church. I um, teach confirmation. And I love that. I love doing that. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't even, I, I wouldn't even say that I'm a super religious person. But I do think there's something to But you're a spiritual person. I'm definitely yeah. a spiritual person. Definitely. Yeah. And nowadays, that's how most people identify themselves. I'm, I hear that all the time. I'm spiritual, not religious. And, um, you know, in my discipline, chaplaincy, spiritual care, we struggle with that, Kristen, the, the, how you have had that. You're not the only one that has that image of a chaplain. And um, it's something that my discipline is really wrestling with, is how to, how to break out of that in people's minds, you know, and in the culture. And so we're actually are changing some of our language um, so now we really do, I even use this language more of spiritual mm-hmm. care and we're considering the work we do more as spiritual care provider rather than chaplain. Mm. Um, it's a little bit more, but digestible. I do think that, yeah, but I do think that there are other ways to go about this, like with a life coach, like I know both of you guys are life coaches. That is another option. So I do think that there are other ways to explore your spiritual life and how to make use of it as a help in your life um, outside of my discipline, that's for sure. I think that's the beauty of it is that there are so many ways to find help and healing. Um, You know, I think of Mm -hmm. psychologists, the work that they do, life coaches, chaplains, and the idea that there's going to be something that's going to speak 
to a person. There's going to be an avenue that makes sense to that person. And I am so thankful that we got to have this conversation today because I would not have known otherwise, you know, if I have a family member or myself when I go to a hospital, I'm thinking of moms Mm -hmm. that just had babies that are, that maybe it was traumatic the way that the baby was delivered or, you know, um, they were expecting it to be a vaginal delivery and they had to do cesarean and it went against what they wanted. That could be traumatic. And now maybe a mom in the hospital will hear this and say, I'm a little lost. I feel powerless. I feel fearful. Mm -hmm. I want a chaplain in this room and I, you know, I want somebody to help me digest this and find my light. And, and you're going through (laughs) a million emotions and hormones when you're in that situation. So hearing that it's not just the ICU unit where you can find a chaplain is huge. I am so grateful that we got to talk about this today. Well, I am too. And I appreciate the opportunity to, to um, teach you a little bit about this role because it is, it is broader than what I think the general public imagines it to be. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. Well, I knew you were already amazing. So thank you for proving that once more uh-huh. <laughs> and for doing this. Um, yeah, it's mutual. <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah. Gina, did you have anything else? Actually, yeah, I do have one last question for you, Mom. I'm curious about families right now that have a loved one in the hospital, regardless of what their their issue might be, that they can't be in the room with them because of COVID. What do you have to say to them? How do you think that they can best cope? Oh, that's a really hard uh, question these days. And, you know, this is such an unusual circumstance. We're just not used to this. Um, not being able to be with our loved ones in the hospital. Uh, I, I know that hospitals are doing really an extraordinary job trying to keep families connected with their loved ones. So uh, I'm sure most families are aware, but if not, they ought to reach out to the the nurse, the floor nurse for their loved one, and see if there's a way, a lot of hospitals are providing iPads and or making use of a cell phone to keep family connected. So be sure to check in on that, um, that the nurse, I think, is nurses are generally doing whatever they can to keep families connected because they know how very important that is. And I think now more than ever, families are probably, we're all realizing how deeply Nurses and doctors care, and I do believe they truly are trying to fill that void and um, be that person, that connection to another human being for the patient. So um, I would encourage families to trust in that and trust in the staff to be emotionally available to their loved one as much as possible. Other than that, I think, you know, a lot of people talk about... um, a lot of people believe that we're all connected in some way. And so now is a a time to really rely on that, that we're connected even though we're not in the same space. I think we're all experiencing that a little bit. But I think a family is going to have to really trust in that 
as well, that, that the love that we have for one another, for our family member, there's nothing that can really separate us from that love. That love, uh, I think, exists, you know, across all time and space. And I do believe a lot of people believe in that. So now might be a time to try to really recall that and hopefully find some comfort in that, that our loved ones know the love we have for them, even if we're not in the same room with them, even if we're in a hospital bed. So I think we have to call on those kind of things to find some kind of comfort and then also supporting one another. You know, if you're fortunate enough to have some family members other than yourself that's coping with this, really leaning on one another to get through this. And again, it's, I think that love, it's really the greatest thing we have to sustain us through this time. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I love that. That's awesome. All right, well, I think it's it's time to wrap up. Thank you so much for your time and where can people find you well i have a web page i'm i currently am working at the jed center for spiritual care and education and there's a web page thejedcenter.com they can go to and my contact information is on there and um and that's that's j e correct the jed center that would be the best way okay cool well thank you so much mom well thank you so much thank you so much katie for taking the time this morning to enlighten myself and dana and of course our listeners and listeners if you want to know more you can check out our website or our instagram and reach out there at following the podcast You can connect with Katie or ask more questions there and we'll see what we can do to get you your answers. Thank you so much for tuning in. Mm -hmm.